best name to born for this. Welcome to Born for This, the podcast that dives deep into the unfiltered emotional roller coaster of motherhood. I'm your host, Beth, currently a stay at home mum, raising two young children, some may say the unconventional way. I am here to share stories on pre and postpartum life through the lens of some of my closest friends and mothers who have inspired me on the way. This is where raw meets real, where we embrace the chaos, the ups and downs, and leave no stone unturned. We'll laugh, we'll cry, and we'll hear stories you didn't know you needed. So grab your tissues and let's get into it. Hey guys, welcome to episode two. I just wanted to quickly apologize for the small glitchings that you hear throughout the episode. Hopefully you can still make it through as it's a really jam-packed episode in which we cover so much from a bilateral club foot diagnosis to an unplanned free birth. Enjoy. I actually remember when I first met you, I think it was nearly five years ago, and you hosted like a women's event at your place. I think it was a Girls Gone International one. And I knew absolutely no one. Like I had moved here pregnant and was waiting for Kane to come and join me like a month later. And yeah, I came to your place and we briefly connected. And I remember you were super intrigued about pregnancy. <laughs> yeah, I was. Yeah. <laughs> I and could, you were super pregnant and glowing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I could just feel your energy and excitement around becoming pregnant. And now you're a mum of two, which is super exciting. And was it Sky's birthday recently as well? <laughs> Two days ago. Yeah, yeah. She turned one. I can't believe that. But yeah, I, I know. Crazy. I remember when you were here too. It's funny because I, just like you said, we never get to properly catch up. I had always assumed that you were really well integrated. I felt like you were the center of that, that day for me <laughs> and that you were like, we had just started a business and this was our first kind of day event for free to kind of test the waters and invite all these women for women's day and then you were just this super gorgeous glowing pregnant mom and you were surrounded by other women I was like oh she's like she's like the topic like she, she's amazing I just want to know her so it's funny that you're like I just moved here I didn't know anyone yeah you were you, you were so <laughs> pregnant and so just something about you was um super magnetic and I thought wow, I almost had the thought, I want, if I'm going to be a mom, I want to be a mom like that. There was just this essence of like authenticness that I find a lot of women, when you see a lot of women walking around pregnant, it's not always the case that they're glowing. They often look pretty exhausted or penguin walking a bit, or you kind of go, ooh, do I really want to be pregnant? And, have and then with you, it was like, oh yeah, I, I could... I could see myself being pregnant if if I'm going to be anything like Beth. That's she's she's channeling something else. And I think since getting to know you more, I've realized a big part of that is just how genuinely you have always wanted to be a mom, which is why I think it's amazing you're doing this podcast because it it like radiates from you, you know. And unfortunately, I don't think that's the case with everybody these days. I don't know that everyone becomes a mom because they truly in their heart of hearts want to be a mom um and everything that that entails you know <laughs> so well thank thank you this podcast is about uh, you Jada, not me <laughs> but that was very beautiful and very humbling thank you <laughs> um 
So I really, I really want to focus today's episode. I mean, I think a lot of people, you know, we tell the birth stories in depth and we go through like the whole routine of the birth, which mm-hmm. is amazing. And it's beautiful to tell these stories, but we kind of never go deeper than what happens in our minds behind birth and, you know, things that can happen during the process of pregnancy. And I really want to focus today's episode on helping support support families who may be experiencing a diagnosis experiencing a diagnosis the same as your beautiful mm-hmm. boa. But before we get into it, I would just love to hear like what's your what was your understanding of birth growing up? Like what were you surrounded by spiritually? What was your birth in, imprint? Like how did you think birth should be? when you were growing up as a child, what was birth to you? Well, my mom and my grandmother are both these kind of uh, powerful Hungarian women on that side. And both of them had only, I mean, easy is a pretty, as a pretty big word to use when talking about birth, but can, considerably easy births so they both had multiple children and I grew up with stories from them of just um, my grandmother was at a handball practice and she went into labor by the time her she got to the hospital she walked to the hospital she was already like fully dilated and my mom just came out so that was her first baby and then my mom was very similar she said I was born quite quickly and my sister as well and um I I know a lot of women, or I learned even more in my pregnancy, that a lot of women are just charged with so much fear around birth um, that I didn't have. So I felt grateful for that part. I grew up with like a, a sense of like strength and empowerment maybe passed down to me around birth. Um, and... I want to say that when well, you asked if I want to, if uh, where where birth take place or something about that, did you ask something like that as well? No, I was just like your birth imprint. So I guess like how you were born, you've just described. Um, yeah. Okay. Then and that's it, that. Yeah. And it's so interesting when you talk to people and you you do find out about their birth imprint and you see definitely how it influences their thoughts on birth and how they birth their children. It's crazy. Absolutely. Yeah. It's totally, totally shapes it. Yeah. Or at least initially. Yeah, for sure. And like you said, there's just so much fear in the world around birth at the moment. Yeah. It's Um, sickening. Yeah. Yeah. It's scary. Like it's really scary to that women have that fear. It's like you have this incredible path that you're about to go on where you can grow your own baby inside you. We shouldn't be scared of birthing them. No, and I think, I mean, you can go a whole six hours talking about that, but I think a big part of that is because we were taught um, over time to be really scared and that men have really wanted to control it, right? Yeah. I'm not going to go off on that topic, but just that (laughs) I think that rather than us going into this magical sense of empowerment and just creativity at its max, you know, that we have in in that part of us, we go into this intimidated kind of helpless um fearful place and I remember I joined a pregnancy group online because it was COVID when I was pregnant and we couldn't meet up in person but 
I was shocked that every meeting we had, there were multiple moms just absolutely sometimes shaking and crying with the fear that they felt overwhelmed with that, that their birth was approaching. Uh, obviously, these were mom, new moms that hadn't had a child yet, but I, I remember being really confused because I had joined, I had joined this group thinking we would kind of be celebrating. <laughs> like I, I didn't obviously I needed to respect everyone's process, but I really quickly realized that the majority of the process that women were sharing was this overwhelming sense of fear and kind of intimidation about birthing their children and and to the point where some of them chose not to and to have plans cesareans right so and that's the world we live in so yeah i didn't feel that way going into birth so going into your pregnancy um i know that you kind of wanted quite a hands-off approach and things um but you were through the private hospital and you went to was it your 20-week scan um let's see Yes. Yeah, that that it was confirmed in my 20-week scan. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to just talk us through what that diagnosis was and how that sort of impacted your pregnancy? Yes. So, um, like I said, it was COVID. Um, so I had been not wanting to go to hospitals, not once because I had wanted the option of potentially having a water birth there in their tub. I just wanted that as an option, and they told me if I want that option, I need to be there for regular checkups. So we would go once a month. And then um, it wasn't quite the 20-week scan when my gynecologist said, I think that your, that your baby might have an issue with his feet, and it may be with the rest of his body as well but I'm not properly certified to diagnose that. You'll have to wait till your 20-week scan. Well, again, the fear that already kind of planted in me was, you know, the questions of what that meant and and all these things was, uh, was a bit daunting, um, but I had to wait and, until the 20-week scan to see a separate doctor who then confirmed with us that, um, that very nonchalantly just kind of said to us at the end of the appointment, yeah, your son has uh, bilateral club foot and it's pretty severe and we're not yet sure what else we, he has um that's a lot to process in your pregnancy it it was and the, and it was also because i was in spain and there was a bit of a language barrier especially in medical with medical vocabulary i didn't quite understand everything he was saying and he didn't really have patience to continue trying to explain to me so he just said i could discuss it further with my regular gynecologist which then i had to wait another week to do so oh my god <laughs> so again it was these kind of steps of like uncertainty but giving us um not the most positive news but not fully informing us what the news really was. So we're left in the unknown. And then on, on the next visit, I was finally able to speak with my gynecologist who, who, um, it broke my heart actually a bit, who focused the whole appointment on the confirmation that our son had, um, bilateral club foot 
and that it could mean that he has a lot more severe uh, syndrome of some kind. And I had three options, is the way he put it. I could get a very invasive needle poked in there to try to find, you know, extract some cells and find out whether the syndrome was more severe. I could have an abortion now because I had two weeks left, apparently, for it to be still legal uh, to have an abortion. So I, I just was shocked that he was even offering that. And then I could just choose to wait and see until the birth, um, which is the option, of course, that we chose. <laughs> so uh, instead of, I guess I'm saying that because instead of getting to my appointment where I can finally maybe have some questions answered or reassurance or if not reassurance, some more information on the on on what we were dealing with, I, I was just faced with kind of these very uh, cold seemingly a bit heartless options of like, do you, do you want to have an abortion or would you like this super invasive uh, needle poked into your womb with all of these risks? Or do you want to just wait and see how bad it really is kind of? And, um, and yeah, we were, I think that was, that was very uh, tough to swallow because it, it felt like, especially in the midst of the, the COVID situation that, I didn't really have anyone to go to for support or more information. Um, and immediately my mind went to, well, are there groups of parents who deal with this or is there a support system in the hospital or out of the hospital or is there a center for the, is there something more than just do you want an abortion or not? Um, yeah, it was just pretty harsh. And, he, and I think, uh, I know the medical system can be harsh, but it was, I'm not used to that coming from Canada. It just felt like very insensitive um, and unhelpful. So that was the 20-week scan situation. I remember when we spoke about it, it must have been recently after the diagnosis, and I think you said to me, like, did you have scans? And I was like, "I with Isla, I didn't really. I think I had a 12-week. And with Luca, yeah, I had the 12-week. And I remember you just looking at me and being like, oh, fuck, I don't know if I should have done it. Like, would I have been better off not to know? Am I glad I know? Like you said, you were just unknown. I bet you were just on Google, right? Just Googling everything if no one's not, like if no one's giving you the answers. Yeah, well, it definitely felt like I wanted to go first to, you know, to speak in person with my gynecologist and try to get the information that way. So I was purposefully staying away from Google to not freak myself out because I didn't understand, like I said, what we were dealing with. But then I, after that, I had to resort to Google because I wasn't getting any information yeah. <laughs> or support. And like you said, I just, I realized that the scans are kind of framed in a way that they're supposed to be helpful. But for us, at the end of the day, we, we weren't giving given anything helpful. We were just told that we need to, to wait. Um, and all in, in their opinion or their their approach was that we were just given the option to know uh, earlier on so that we could legally have an abortion still if we chose that option. And for me, it was just that was not even a question. So it just felt like a, uh, it just felt gross like I just felt like puking hearing that and then I just yeah. wanted to leave yeah so 
Yeah, maybe it would have been better not to know. <laughs> yeah. That's I the mean, thing with scans, right? Mm. Like you said, they are framed as being, you know, this beautiful thing where you can see your baby, but as a doctor, they mm. are searching for something. Like that's their job is to be searching mm-hmm. for a diagnosis within those scans. Absolutely. Um, they're not there just to show you a pretty picture of your child. <laughs> no. And, it, you know, I, exactly. You want to go in there and have a special moment, and especially, especially the guy whose uh, job it was to give the official diagnosis. He just, I'm not sure what was going on with him, but he did. Got, no part of that appointment was special or beautiful or positive. You know, he could have. Yeah. You know that other people sometimes get excited for you and go like, "Oh, look, there's the foot, huh? So cute!" But yeah. it was like, "No, this is the problem, and this is the other problem." Like he was the the chief of finding all the major problems. So it just, but again, he's he wasn't able to then sit with me and work through it or talk to me about it. It was just this paper that he signed, and then off I went, not knowing really much about what was going on, and and I. You know, I know that they're doing their best and I don't, I think that the medical system has absolute benefits in a lot of ways and does help people with a lot of things. But I, I just felt like they definitely scared me more than anything else. But it, yeah, I think that, that there could be a lot more of a caring approach if you are going to be diagnosing people's babies or speaking to them about, you know, the unknown syndromes they may have to deal with. Or I just wish there could be some kind of a communal support element there that, like, you could be referred to, hey, these groups help moms who are dealing with this. And I even considered starting my own group because there was nothing that I could find. Like, even online after that, I couldn't find anything, um, anything for support that way. Yeah. Wow. So even to this day, like you haven't come across like a good Facebook community group that you used or anything? No, not at all. I, the only group I found was um, based in a hospital in Barcelona, which we went and visited. And they're also there. It's a woman who founded it there, specialized clinic for, and they're also there. It's a woman who founded it there, specialized. And then um, that was it. And what proved the necessity of this even more to me is one fast forward to when Boa is two surgeries into his process and we're going through a a lot of challenges um, and not knowing if we're dealing with the best medical team again, once he was going through his foot treatment, Um, a mom in the grocery store came up to me and stopped me and had tears in her eyes and she wasn't sure if I spoke English so she had her eldest daughter by the arm and was asking her daughter to translate but I understood Spanish anyway but she was trying to tell me like I see that your your baby has club feet and is wearing this brace on his feet and I really like I begging you I know you're probably going to the the local hospital and and um I guess going through the treatment with them there, but my baby also had this and I need to tell you, like, don't go to that hospital. Um, they're going to make you do unnecessary. Sur- like I'm, I'm, she's like, 
making prayer hands in the grocery store, just like, I'm begging you, stop going to that hospital, like go to Barcelona, go to somewhere else. They're only going to try to do unnecessary surgeries and they don't do the proper procedures. And she knew this because on the island, we quickly found out there's only one doctor who is, um, I, I don't know if it's licensed to or is able to provide this type of specialized treatment in Mallorca. And we didn't have another option because we couldn't travel at that time because of COVID. But she saw the equipment that was on our son and she she recognized it and ran, like ran down the aisle of the grocery store. Wow. And again, I thought like had there been a group of, of women, of moms sharing their experiences, we could all support each other through this. And it just felt like an angel in disguise, like that she came at the right moment and saved us from, she absolutely saved us from more unnecessary surgeries that we were already skeptical about. And our son is completely healthy now. And had we not run into her in the grocery store, then we may have, who knows what, like the, the doctors here were thinking of cutting open his entire leg and like breaking his joints and trying to reconstruct his whole absolute unnecessary intensive surgeries. How's that for the universe? Like <laughs> yeah. placing that woman yeah. there in, no. a, in the grocery store? Yeah, not denying, like absolute angel. Like just yeah. thank you universe, you know? that. And I'm thinking like, how do we get this? How do I tell more moms, you know? I even tried towards the last few appointments that I went to at the hospital here. I tried to befriend some of the other moms I could see were starting the treatment with their babies to try to see if I could kind of gently maybe influence them to discontinue with this doctor because we had had such horrible experiences. But yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. And just going back to like the pregnancy when you had the diagnosis, did it have any impact on your mindset going into the birth? And like what, what kept you strong in the unknown? Because obviously you've, you've never dealt with this before so you're going into the birth with like a completely different mind frame right absolutely so like you asked at the beginning my lineage had almost hyped me up <laughs> I felt pretty ready I was like I could do this you know women in my family we, we could do this and and then after the diagnosis and all the fear that I felt like was being pumped into me about we don't know what this means for your son and me having absolutely no idea what he, he could be coming out with like all kinds of different syndromes. We had no idea what the severity was um, because his, his foot condition is actually typically linked to a lot of other um, syndromes uh, and it can affect the spine. It can, um, is very typically associated with Down syndrome and other things. So I, I, from that point on, felt like the best choice as his mom was to try to have medical uh, attention accessible for him. So I'd been considering a home birth. And I thought, you know what, I considering everything that could be happening with him, it might be better if we have him in the hospital, they can help assess the severity of the situation and his health and then be there to help support him. 
Um, wrong. <laughs> uh, that was my that was my hope, Beth. But that was wrong. So basically, I learned um, through going through his birth and being in that medical environment and having beautiful people help, like really great positive midwives there trying to help and also encourage everything to be natural and all that plus the mix of like you know the typical medical brainwashed kind of things around birth and always trying to speed women up and intervene and make themselves feel important rather than just letting it happen naturally so felt like there was this weird battle between me and the hospital of me trying to let things happen naturally but just be in a hospital so that we have the option for medical support if needed for him and whatever he was uh, needing, but also to let me just have my birth naturally. But of course, as soon as you're in that environment, you got people trying to poke you over here and put this on you over here and check this and that and the other thing and then tell you all these things. And I just, I remember feeling so conflicted because... I really wanted to just trust myself and follow my intuition and just flow through birth. And I was also had gotten into my head about that. I might be a bad mom if I don't take into consideration that my baby might need medical, special medical attention. And I didn't know what that looked like yet. So I was trying to allow the medical team to I was trying to trust their opinions but what ended up happening is that I ended up letting them take over a bit too much and letting go of my intuition in the driver's seat and then there was intervention and okay we're gonna have to you know it's dangerous for the baby and blah 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 and all the fear things that they do and we're gonna have to induce you and then we're gonna have to probably I just I've started to feel like a bit of a bad dream because the the um the birth was taking so long that the longer it went on, the more fear was kind of rising in the air and the less I felt um, in control or that I had the right to continue to say like, no, we, me and, and my husband kept saying to the team, like, just wait, just wait one or two more hours. They, they kept saying, we're good. So now that you've had this procedure and we've induced you, you're going to have to be, you know, have cesarean within this much time. And we just said, just wait, just wait, just give me a moment, like just stop. And it felt like there was only so long I could do that. Um, before being too scared that I might be doing something negative for the baby. And um, eventually, this is kind of a, I've never thought of it this way, but eventually what happened is the whole team had been there overnight. So we were all there for like 23 hours of labor or something like that. And I was shaking. I, I wasn't able to stomach any food or anything for so long. I was shaking like I couldn't stand or even be on all fours. I was just trying so hard to get through it without painkillers, anything like that. And if eventually towards the end, they just said, okay, we're going to get someone in here to give you like a standing epidural so that you can at least rest, which I should have just done from the beginning. And I knew that, but it was too late. So 
Um, they, they give me this a, a standing epidural. I'm able to just lie down finally without my body was not letting me lie down. It was too painful. So I was able to lie down for like 45 minutes and I finally fully dilated in that 45 minutes and then started to push. But what I noticed was like, once I was starting to dilate, there was one midwife sleeping over in the corner on a table the other midwife was out like having a cigarette and then and I started to feel like everyone was almost giving up on me and there was this sense of like oh she's gonna have to have a cesarean anyway and I had this I don't know if it was what it was but this warrior side of me went this is not gonna happen like yes you're here for my kid but you're not just gonna take over how this is going to go. So I just like got up on my hands and knees by myself. This is the only time that nobody was around and started to just push, like push by myself, grabbed my own baby out of my vagina and pulled him out by myself <laughs> in, <laughs> in a lunge position. Like I was just like, no, it's amazing. Not. where is everyone going? Why are you all, you know, just, yeah, I'm, you're giving up on me. Like, like you guys need to stay awake. I'm not giving yeah. up. So anyway, that's how it happened in the end. And that is incredible. <laughs> yeah, it was, it's funny to think about it that way, but I kind of had this like, F you all. I'm going to do this this way. Like, no, <laughs> no. I love yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> Did you yeah. have any like, did you have any fears at the beginning that like he wouldn't be able to walk, he wouldn't be able to live a normal life? I'm just thinking out loud oh here, like rational gosh. thoughts that definitely would Un- have been going through my mind. Unbelievable. Like, oh, I, I, I'm looking back now and I just wish I could give that version of me a hug because it was so overwhelming to be going through a postpartum as it is with all the hormonal stuff and sleeplessness and the, ups and downs with anxiety and depression and all that stuff that you can kind of be working with. And then also to just be like swimming in fear of if he's going to be able to walk, if this, they, 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 there was always these, like, I hate this, but this is a part of being a parent, right? There's always these question marks of like, we're not sure how it's going to turn out. We have to wait and see. So we would start this intensive treatment with him or go through these major surgeries with him, which were a whole other level of hell. Um, It was a horribly unsupportive team at the hospital as well with that. But we would kind of want this, these answers of like, okay, well, is he going to be able to walk? Are his feet going to be able to function? Um, they kept saying things like, you know, this can also really have a negative impact on his hips and his spine and everything's connected. So he might be really messed up is kind of what they kept saying. We're going to try our best to make sure he's not super messed up. And instead of it feeling like we were moving towards improvement, it just kept feeling like we we're moving towards more question marks And again, I'm thinking, if you were a little bit more emotionally or psychologically sensitive to mother's experience with their, especially their firstborn, there's no way anyone would be allowed to say the things they're saying to us in the way they're saying, because it's so torturous. Like, there needs to be some amount of care. It's supposed to be a healthcare system. There's no care happening. It's just this, like... uh, negative kind of cold careless like 
almost like you are annoying them and they just want to get to their coffee break. So if you have more questions and they don't care and they're annoyed, so you can just go home for now anyway. Yeah. I don't, yeah. I don't know if you follow um, Dr. Nathan Riley. He's a holistic um, obstetrician, OBGYN, and he I've been obsessed with his podcast at the moment, and he actually was working in the hospital doing some palliative care, and he was with an old man who was dying, and I think it was mm. during COVID, and so he had to wear a mask, and he said, like, this this guy was dying on his own and he took his mask off to connect with this man. Like he didn't want him to die alone and he got fired from his job. It's just like, yeah, he, I'm actually going to interview him, which is going to be amazing because he's <gasps> going to tell that story of, yeah, how it all amazing. happened and how he's now working, doing his own thing. He's still a registered OBGYN, but he's doing mm. everything in a more holistic approach. And especially around birthing women, which is so, yeah, he's amazing. Okay, that's amazing. I definitely want to follow him because, yeah, that's so much, that's so hopeful. That's yeah. really beautiful. No, I I definitely saw um, really similar situations to what you just described because we were in the hospital every week, twice a week for the first four months. And then we were in the hospital every two weeks until Boa was eight months at least and so we were there constantly and when we would when he would have to go into surgery um he would always end up afterwards in this waiting room with a lot of people who were also very close to death very elderly people it would just be it was bizarre it was this open room with all these beds and no curtains or anything separating them and we were all forced to wear these masks and as a mom I there's no way with my baby waking up from like intensive surgery that I want my mask on. Like I kept wanting to take it off and I would see these people around that look like they're also very ill and potentially close to, to dying and surrounded by these people with masks on. And I totally understand that exactly what you described. Like I just felt like I just need to take this bloody mask off so that we can have some human interaction in this room. Like there's, this is horrible. This is like a nightmare. <laughs> and we we're creating it. We're doing it to ourselves. So yeah. Yeah. I get yeah, that. A wild time we lived in. So yeah. if we just quickly rewind back to when he was born. So yeah. What was the diagnosis when he came out? Um, they said, when he first came out, they said, okay, we can confirm he has very severe, they kept telling us that it was super extreme case of bilateral club foot. So both of his feet were like completely upside down. Plus four of his toes were also, they call them curly toes in English, but basically the tendons of the toes keep the toes completely tucked under his feet. Again, not he's not able to walk with, with that. And then they told us we were going to have to continue to do elaborate blood tests and things for the first few months to see if he had something else. So when he first came out, that's what we were told. So again, it's like a mix of like question marks and somewhat, you know, because once you have a diagnosis, you can move forward into treatment. So we were glad 
to have that in a way, but we also had no idea what else we were dealing with. Oh, and his his hands when he was born were also um, similar, like they were curled, but they told us with time and stretching that that would just work itself out, but that we needed to, to intervene more uh, intensively with his feet. Yeah. And so it didn't turn out that he had anything else but the club no. foot in it. No, again, it just kind of made me, I don't know, I sighed and rolled my eyes and went, Can I don't even want to imagine if all the parents who would have taken the route of, yeah, better just, you know, abort this because yeah. just in case, you know, yeah, he's, exactly. he's absolutely completely healthy now. So that would have been like ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's, I mean, I've seen him. He's such a happy, beautiful boy running around. Like, you wouldn't yeah. even tell what he's been through. No. Is it genetic, Clubfoot? That's what they're saying. It's like a lot of things. They they don't know the, the real cause of it. It's one in a thousand babies are born with it, and usually just on one foot. And typically, I think it's three times as common in boys. But then... Um, but then, yeah, once you, they, they assume it's genetic because once you have your first child with a uh, club foot, then you have a 35% chance of having a second child with club foot. So how did that impact, like, going into your second pregnancy? Was that obviously a fear that arose? Yes. So, yeah. <laughs> so again, it was like, well, like you said, with, with Isla, for you, for your uh, daughter with the second pregnancy I avoided scans <laughs> like the plague I was like I don't want any scans get away from me but at the same time it was similar it was like I wanted to make sure that uh, she was healthy and I didn't feel as scared the second time around with the possibility of a club foot because at this point I had been through it's like it wasn't my first time at the rodeo like I had been through it so I knew at this point which tools and resources to use I felt like I had kind of overcome all these crazy obstacles with with my first baby's treatment that allowed me to reconnect to my intuition and get a lot more knowledge and know how I would do it the second time you know so I going into it I had so much more um confidence that if if my second child needed that same treatment that I would know what to do and, and what would be best for her. And we found out she was a girl. And then after that, I also kind of assumed that it was less likely. And I, I don't know, I intuitively kind of felt like that wasn't really her journey. Yeah. I don't know how much you believe in that, but I was, I felt like with Boa, that was very much, huge lessons I needed to come out of that for all of us him and his club foot journey but that my daughter was just going to have a different journey and she, yeah she has very very healthy feet um yeah no no sign of club foot at amazing. all amazing yeah so what's the actual process like once they're born they find out he's got club foot like when's the first yeah. surgery like I guess it's quite invasive right are they like cutting all the tendons, bones, and moving things around the right way? Well, this is the thing, is I learned that every country deals with it differently, which is, 
has its pros and cons, of course. So, And they tell you that when you go to the hospital here. They say this is how they typically deal with it in Spain. So the Ponsetti treatment is the typical approach uh, across the board, and that's just a series of casts. And they always say that the earlier you start, the better. So when, when he was three days old, we went to get his first casts. Um, and that was really hard on all of us because it felt like he had had maybe two days of being welcomed into the world and getting to be home and loved. And, and then we just, from there, kind of dove into this alternative reality where we spent so much time at the hospital and he was in a lot of pain and discomfort a lot of the time. And it felt like he kind of changed pretty much right away. So they would try to hold him down on the medical metal table and they'd have some of their team trying to hold him down and then the other ones trying to like strap him into this very thick very um tight cast that would hold his foot in like a stretched position and over the series over like I think eight weeks yeah I think it took eight weeks of getting a cast every five days so he would get recasted every five days and they're just slowly starting to try to stretch his tendon because it's mainly an issue with the Achilles tendon. They're slowly trying to stretch it out as much as it will. And then once they get to the maximum of what they think it can stretch with that process, they then go into surgery <clears throat> if need be. And with him, we kind of always knew that he would need surgery because it was so severe. So then after he was about, I think he was five weeks old, they told us, okay, so now we're going to have to do a surgery and you have to go sign this paper with the anesthesiologist. So you're going to go to this office. And she was there and she's like, here's the paper. Do you speak Spanish? I said, yeah, but maybe you can help me make sure I'm not missing anything. And she said, well, it basically says that because your baby's so young, there's a very high risk that he'll die because um, they're, they're going to stop breathing immediately when we put them into, under general anesthesia. And it's very difficult to get the tiny tubes down into the lungs. So it's the riskiest age to do this. And um, we want you to sign so that if he like gets really hurt or damaged or dies, that's not our responsibility. Again, just like the way she was talking about it was as if she was saying, this is the way we make chocolate ice cream or vanilla ice cream. Like, it felt like you're telling me that my baby is at the highest risk of dying with what you're about to do and that you need me to sign so that you don't get in trouble. Could wow. you have some element of, like, sensitivity in your voice? I just left yeah. that appointment and so many appointments just bawling. So that's what they said. Um... And um, the whole experience was absolutely horrific with that. Like, we're again, you can't breastfeed them or feed them anything for two to three hours before they go into under general anesthesia. But we ended up waiting in this room with no air, no windows, no nothing. And we weren't allowed to leave for maybe eight and a half hours. Uh, with nobody giving us information of where the doctor was and there was a down syndrome baby having the same procedure that day who had gone in ahead of us and anyway there's absolutely the level of like just carelessness and unprofessional 
this lism is beyond what I can ever understand, but, um, uh, what was I saying? So this was, oh, this was yes. in Spain before you changed hospital, right? I was, yeah. yeah. So then, then I was going to say all this to say that later on, um, once we were allowed to travel, I immediately looked into some special clinics in Canada where I'm from originally. And I, I found one. And as soon as we went there, they were just as horrified at our stories as we had felt living through them. And I learned that in Canada, what they do is they never use general anesthesia on a baby that young because of, Cause of the risk. The risk. Duh. Wow. And so they only ever, and the, the other thing was the separation from me. Like they kept needing to take him away yeah. from me. And I'm thinking he's already going through such difficult experiences. Why don't you let him be with his mom at least in the bare minimum? Like let him breastfeed, let him be beside his mom, something. But no, they kept having to take him away because, like I said, I'm annoying to them. So yeah. what I learned in Canada is they never take the baby away from the mom. They encourage breastfeeding throughout the process. They use um, just like a uh, numbing cream on the area so they won't do any type of injecting or anything. And then before they ever actually cut open the baby and try to because what they do is they sever part of the Achilles tendon, either part of it or all of it, so that it then they recast the foot again so that it's in a, a stretched position and that the Achilles can lengthen that way is the whole concept of the surgery. And they don't do that in Canada before trying this Botox method. So they inject Botox a little bit into the Achilles and it allows that muscle to lengthen and then stay stretched further than it would on its own. And they use that. It's very non-invasive. It doesn't cause any scarring. Boa has quite a bit of scarring uh, from, from the surgeries, the multiple surgeries, but also the complications that, that happen because of the horrible uh, mistakes they made and infections that he got and all kinds of stuff. So he, th in Canada and I'm sure other countries, they don't do these invasive uh, procedures. So, um, I think it depends where you are. That's, that's how, that's what determines how the club foot is treated. But yeah. So hectic. <laughs> it was crazy. Like, yeah. I I mean, I've never really heard this story in depth, so I really appreciate you telling me. I, I can't imagine it's mm. easy to revisit all these things. No, but it's probably healing in a way. I'm just yeah. thinking that. I'm glad you're you're asking me because I, a big part of me would like to just forget about it forever. But I think at this point, it's really important for me now that he is healthy to go back to that place and go, okay, we made it through. And there were so many moments where I just was so overwhelmed with the fear of how this would negatively impact him psychologically and physically yeah that to be where we're at now and go back is is kind of like you know bridging that is is healing in a way so yeah and yeah. he is literally yeah. just such a happy happy kid running around <laughs> it's, isn't it incredible how like resilient children are right and and yeah. us as mothers like look what you guys went through yeah yeah and 
Okay, so when was the first time he was able to walk? Like, I feel like this is going to be emotional just thinking about for the both of us. I can't imagine what that was like watching him take his first steps. So he would have been like a year and four or five months old. It was February. So that's not even late. Like that. No, (laughs) no, it wasn't. And everybody kept telling us that too. And that he's going to be late, late, late. But he's also a very determined kid. Uh, He's very headstrong, very determined. So it's very, it was actually very cute because he had been wearing a a brace with a bar between it um, at first for 23 hours a day and then on into just naps and nighttime. And um, when he did start to walk, it's like he wouldn't bend his knees. It's like he didn't really realize that he could. I know babies always have that kind of teeter-totter, but it was like him even more. He, he, even to this day, we bring him to football every week, which he loves. And he's the youngest one there, but he just absolutely loves it. And when he runs, it's like he won't bend his legs. <laughs> he was so used to having his legs just fully straight all the time that he just kind of like, he runs in this really stiff way. But yeah, no, he, he walked not late at all. Um, he wasn't late with any, any of the physical development stuff at all, like for crawling or walking or standing or, and, um, yeah, that, that in itself, I think was super reassuring for us because, the doctors kept saying we could expect delays and they weren't happening. So that made me more confident to also trust him and trust that we probably didn't need to intervene as much as they were suggesting here in Spain that we should. They were suggesting we did multiple more surgeries and all kinds of things I didn't even know existed, like cut off all his toenails because they're more prone to getting ingrown toenails and oh no, and cut all the bottoms of his little toes so that they can be like re-healed in a straight way and cut like I said all behind his knee and his ankles and cut open the joints and I'm like I just kept thinking this is not necessary I really don't I think his development you know again I'm not a doctor but I can see I watch him every day I stretch his feet every day I see that he's developing pretty healthily and he's not telling us he's experiencing any pain in his feet they kept scaring, trying to scare us with that. Like, he's going to have pain when he walks. It's going to be a painful thing. He'll never be able to walk pain-free. We have to keep doing these surgeries. So, But we never ended up needing the surgeries. And he's been walking, running, biking. He loves, he loves, yeah, all of that. So, yeah. Such a testament to you guys trusting your intuition there. It was like we should have just done that all along. So then with with the second birth and the second child in general I feel like nobody can nobody can one-up my intuition anymore the way that I thought maybe I should be letting the the medical people medical experts be in the lead of decision making for certain things I'm I'm not letting anybody be in the in the lead anymore my my gut and my heart because yikes yeah so let's just quickly then while you're already touching on that go into the accidental, I wouldn't really call it accidental free birth, but your free birth of Sky. (laughs) If you just want to quickly run us through sort of like, yeah, it was such a polar opposite experience to what you had. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I did a meditation last week that was saying, 
okay, if you imagine one day of your life that you could relive, what would it be? And I realized that that would be the day would be birthing my second child. It was so like, I can't ever explain that experience to anybody really. Like I just, I've never experienced anything like that. I don't, I ever will again. It was just, yeah, absolutely magical for me. Un unbelievably empowering. So I just, I, I remember I called my dad and he was laughing so much because probably the tone of voice I had, like I called him right after the birth and I said like, I'm like a superhero. Like nobody could tell me anything. Like I could do anything. And, and he was laughing because I'm usually pretty calm. Especially when I was just like belting out how like, amazing it felt to just go through all of that with no help and nobody telling me what to do and oh yeah it was so so different it was like I remember thinking okay instead of ignoring all those voices that had been there in my first birth and I I kept trying to think my way out of it and listen to the medical team more I'm going to not listen to anything except my intuition and just see what happens. And um, I had a doula the second time. We had we had, had a doula we were talking to the first time, but we were only allowed to bring one person into the room for the birth during COVID. So once we decided it was at the hospital, we realized it wasn't worth hiring a doula because she wouldn't be able to be there or my husband would have to not be there part of the time. We just didn't want that. So we ended up having her there the second time throughout the pregnancy. She'd, we'd check in with her regularly and things. And we kind of had this birth plan of letting me labor more at home once I went into labor um, and then going to the hospital when I felt ready if I wanted to. Again, we were planning to use the bath at the same hospital and I don't I don't even remember why we decided that that time. But oh, I think it was honestly because we were thinking it might be nice maybe for my son if he could be home or with his uncle or with his dad and we be kind of have this space where I could go birth and for whatever reasons we decided we would like to have the hospital option available again not in a like we didn't want any medical um treatments or anything we just wanted the space and we had a team that we really liked and i had found a new gynecologist a woman who i really liked um and and so once i went into labor i did exactly that i ran myself a bath. It was about 4.30 in the morning. I was like, okay, this is it. Like, I can feel that this is it. So I went into the bath and put on my favorite playlist that's from our really dear friend, but she's also a masseuse, and she has a playlist that she always plays when she gives massages, and I love it. So I played that, and I just would kind of dozing in and out of sleep between contractions. Um... And just by myself, like, I just remember feeling like in the hospital, I just wanted everybody to F off and I just wanted to be by myself, but that I couldn't fully ask for that. Like, if, uh, so it felt like this time I just wanted to be alone and I was, I was alone. And then mm, actually my son got up around 7.30 and I got out of the bath and helped him with his morning routine, brushed his teeth got him dressed kind of between contractions <laughs> and then um let my doula know 
around 8 30 that yeah it's like i'm fully in labor definitely uh and then i went back into the bed so we kind of switched my husband and i we switched when he got out of bed i went back into bed and he stayed with our son and i i again was trying to just rest between because i didn't want that feeling of like complete depletion again that i felt in the hospital so i just kept trying to rest even if it was just with my eyes closed or whatever I could do, like I was in a child's pose, in an on and off. Uh, and then it started to get really intense. And I went, okay, like, I think I texted my doula again, like, I feel it really intensifying, maybe we should start to get ready to head to the hospital if we're going to do that. And she, and she said, she said something about like, how close are your contractions? And then my water broke. And I just said, I just texted her like water broke and I was just kind of leaning over my, my couch upstairs in our home. And, um, <laughs> my husband came up and went, is everything okay? Do you need anything? And I just <laughs> told him, get away, like go away. And he was like, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what I should do. I said, no, just trust me, just go away. And I just, that's what I felt like. I felt like everybody needed to go away. Um, like a cat, like I just needed everyone to go away. And, um, and then I went into our, uh, we have a bathroom that's right beside this room. So I went into the bathroom and by this point, the doula was on her way over. She's like 10 minutes from us. And, um, I kind of was just going on and off the toilet in like a squat position. That's what it felt like my body needed. And then she arrived and she was like, looking at me and she could tell my hands were starting to shake. And she said, that's when the, I guess there's like adrenaline that kicks in for your pushing phase. And she's like, would you like to go to the hospital? I said, no, there's no way that you're going to get me out of this squat position. I'm not going anywhere. And within, I think, five minutes, the baby was just out. So I was, again, in that same, the same warrior kind of lunge position is why, where my body wants to birth. I always end up in this lunge position. And um, she said, no, what did she say? She said, if you reach in can you feel the hair or the head? And I said, no, I can only feel hair, like my own hair. And then I, and then in, cause you're kind of in this dreamy state. I was, I said, wait a second. I don't have hair inside of my cervix. <laughs> this, I can feel her head. That's her hair, not mine. Then she's just like, yeah. Anyway, we both laughed and then she just came out and <clears throat> the doula said, Okay, she's coming out. Okay, her head's turning. Okay, she's out. <laughs> like that, that, and I just like started to laugh and cry and everything at the same time. But oh, but then we noticed that the cord was wrapped around her neck twice. And again, it was all very intuitive and animalistic. Even in that moment, I didn't feel worried. Like there was so much fear with my first birth. And the second birth was like, oh, the cord's wrapped around. Let me just get my pinky in there and unwrap it twice okay, she's, a, she's fine. Like there wasn't any, I just felt like I was just flowing with it and that mm, I was so connected to my daughter and that she was flowing with it and she was great and we were great and then everything was fine. And then there we were on the bathroom floor and that was it. Like never needed to pack that birth bag. It was, it was, a. Uh, it was so empowering. It was like, it was such a reassurance that I just felt like in that moment, I wish every woman could live that, that feeling of like, I always knew I should just trust myself. And that was the best way. And this is just complete proof for me 
that that's what I need to do. Like, you know, I just need to just connect to myself and trust myself because, because I can do it. Like I, I can, I can do these things and I know what's best and she's completely healthy. And other than maybe one checkup, like I, I haven't felt the need to go to any checkups for her um, ever. <laughs> and I feel like I'll know when something's off with her. And whereas my son, like I said, we were in the hospital multiple times a week from the time he was three, three days old. <sighs> and we still go to the hospital every six months or so. But yeah, I, I feel like I regained that trust in myself and that reassurance in myself. And I wish every woman could feel that. And it, it was such a beautiful gift. And it almost felt like anything that was almost robbed from me with my first birth experience and with my first baby and postpartum, it was all, all given back to me and more. And it was like, oh, no, just take the reins and trust yourself and you are so powerful and you got this and that this wasn't just me like it's just women like that energy that motherness is just there's nothing like it so so beautiful yeah. I resonate so yeah. much with that with yeah the second birth it was just I almost felt ripped off because it happened so quickly I was like I was quite I was quite yeah. enjoying that <laughs> um yeah. but well, I remember saying what did I say I think I said to the doula, well, first of all, we were laughing. Like, we're just laughing so much. And I said to her, that's it? Wait, that's it? <laughs> <laughs> like, we're done? Oh, my gosh. Because, you know, what, what was that? Like, 4.30. She was born just before 10.30. And so, yeah. And, I, again, like, when I first started to feel the contractions at 4.30 in the morning, it was very slow. So I, I would say that from about, like, 8. 30 to 10 30 was kind of the real deal and I compared to my first experience I was like wait we're done here you know everyone says the second birth is typically quicker but it was like a whole different thing and you're saying you felt like robbed of of it or it was it was too quick and I'm thinking I felt like oh shoot I wish I could have yeah. experienced this the first time too because the first time I know you had your whole story with um premature right experience but I've just felt like the first time I wasn't able to get in touch with fully with myself or my birthing experience because I was too consumed with all of the thoughts and um, fears and opinions of everybody else so yeah I'm so glad I got to experience that because it changed me like it really I would have not I don't know if anything could have made me feel so much more reconnected to myself as that like I I, I agree yeah, yeah wholeheartedly yeah. and I yeah the same as you I just wish and pray and like hope that more women can experience this and that is yeah. one of the reasons of you know wanting to share these stories and yeah hopefully we can help people believe in themselves and empower them to you know have the births that they imagine and yeah, if we can just tune in more to our intuition and our gut feelings and find, you know, inner peace within ourselves, then fingers crossed, more women can can have this feeling of empowerment and not feeling that their, you know, bodies and their births were taken away from them. Yeah, oh my gosh, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. Before we go, I would really just love to offer this space for you to lend advice to parents that may have a similar diagnosis or have had a baby recently with clubfoot. I would say before going into uh, full treatment, um, to know and trust that there are many, many specialized clinics around the world. And if it means going a bit further away to access those clinics or um, maybe reaching out and getting in contact with people who have been through the process before around, around your local areas, I would say definitely um, look into it. Uh, I wish I had been able to do that sooner, but COVID was holding us back. But I, I would say look into all of your op- all of the options available to you uh, near and a little bit further, because uh, it could just it could be night and day. Um, the the difference in the yeah. in the experience, yeah, yeah. And I will, if you're happy for me to add your Instagram in the show notes. So if someone, you know, does need to reach out just to, I don't know, have a friendly chat or know that it is going to be okay. Yes, please do that. Yeah. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please hit the follow button to be notified when the next episode is out and follow our Instagram, born for this underscore the podcast.